Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Okay, welcome everyone to episode 18 of the Rust Belt Rundown. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Terrence Upchurch, Ohio State Representative for District 10. Terrence, thanks so much for coming on, man. Happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Um, so let's jump in. Uh, first and foremost, um, every time we have a guest on, we just like to give uh, our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves as if everyone listening doesn't know you, doesn't know your background. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who Terrence Upchurch is? Absolutely. Well, you know, born and raised in the city of Cleveland, uh, I have the privilege of serving the 10th House District uh, in the Ohio House of Representatives. Uh, and the 10th House District encompasses the northeast side of Cleveland, uh, Bratnall Village, uh, downtown and the very near west side. Uh, so I have a very diverse district. Uh, I have some of the most wealthy and affluent families living in Bradnall Village, and then I have some of the most low-income families too. So uh, the challenge for me in the state house has been to bridge that gap and to bring those two uh, parts of my district together. Uh, prior to being elected, I worked for a nonprofit uh, in the city of Cleveland uh, in the Collinwood community. It's now called Greater Collinwood Development Corporation. Uh, and my capacity that was business liaison. I uh, worked with businesses in the community uh, and helped them with any resources that the city may offer or any resources that the county may offer. Uh, and then prior to that, uh, I had the opportunity to serve as an intern for Cleveland City Council. Uh, and that's when I had the opportunity to really learn the nuances of government and uh, understand the importance of the relationship between uh, local government and state government. Uh, and that's one of the reasons where, when I decided to run for uh, this office, because I wanted to uh, make sure that the state was present in our community uh, and make sure that the state had some influence in a positive light. It's a good transition because um, normally politics are somewhat of a older, it's an older game. So it's refreshing to see people our age, younger people get involved in public service. What made you want to get involved in the political scene? Sure. You know, you know, Paul, it's interesting you say that because I've always had an interest uh, in government and the workings of government, right? Uh, but that didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to get in politics. Uh, and I guess I developed an interest when I first graduated from Cleveland State. Uh, I worked on my first campaign uh, and it was for Cleveland City Council. Uh, it's when Jeff Johnson ran in 2013. Uh, and I enjoyed going out in the community, uh, talking to residents, hearing concerns, uh, I enjoy meeting people and, and working in the capacity of organizing and, and really seeing uh, a campaign come together. And I guess the competitive nature in me uh, is what really sparked my interest in the politics. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I do enjoy uh, the service, uh, but I think my competitive nature is what somewhat sparked an interest uh, and then really beginning to see uh, how you can change the lives of other people. I think that's what really sparked my interest in the politics for sure. Love it. Um, you mentioned it um, when you were talking about how you kind of got involved, but tell us more about your district and the parts of Cleveland that you cover. And, and given the 
varieties of socioeconomic areas that fall into your district, what opportunities or challenges does this present? Sure. So if we if we break my district down into neighborhoods, I've got uh, uh, Collinwood neighborhood, which is the neighborhood I live in. Uh, grew up in Collinwood. I've lived here all my life. Uh, I've got Glenville, which is a pretty historic uh, African-American neighborhood. Uh, the downtown area, which we've seen over the past 10 years or so, really uh, go through a transformation. Uh, and then I've got Ohio City and Tremont on the near west side. And these are two neighborhoods that have really been on the rise within the past 10 years that have really grown. And, uh, and, and we've seen more people move into those neighborhoods. Uh, the challenge is, is to, this, to, to make sure that the same development we've seen in downtown and the near west side, we want to see some of that investment and development spill over into the east side here in Collinwood and Glenville. Uh, these areas have great opportunity. Uh, the Collinwood neighborhood is the only neighborhood in the city of Cleveland which goes along the entire lakefront. Uh, well, this, this neighborhood in the um, uh, uh, Detroit Shoreway area. Uh, so we really wanna see some investment come over here and some development and we wanna get more people to move back into the neighborhood uh, the Collinwood neighborhood is probably one of the few neighborhoods where it still has a historic commercial district. Uh, we've got Waterloo Road, we've got East 185th Street, uh, and both of those districts are just, um, I think they're one step away from going to the next level. So getting them to that next level has, has certainly been the challenge. How can we get more investors here, more development come in and, and get these people to see the potential of this area? Yep. Um, we've talked about this next question with a couple of guests, but want to get your perspective on it. Talk to us a little bit more about the digital divide and the impact that that causes on, on cities. Sure. Well, I think the digital divide is, it's, a, it's an issue that, you know, folks like you and I who are, who are engaged have, have known for a long time, but it was really exposed during the pandemic, right? Yeah. When you had, uh, families who had to make tough decisions to, you know, figure out how to keep their children in, engaged and involved in school. Uh, when schools were shut down. And a lot of these families, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of these families didn't have adequate internet access. Uh, a lot of these families would go to the library for internet access, right? Um, and how do you do that when the library's closed? Uh, so a lot of families found themselves in a tough situation. And what we need to do is make internet accessible and available for everyone, for all communities. It, internet is now, it's like water. It's a necessity. It's a must have. Uh, and I think that that was exposed during the pandemic. So, uh, you know, I think a, the state partnering with local governments, I think we can achieve that. So, you know, how that looks, uh, not necessarily sure at this point how that looks, but I, I'm glad to see that we're beginning to have those conversations and we're aware that it is an issue and it needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. Yep. Um, wanted to get your perspective as well. Again, another, another uh, similar question that we like to ask our guests, but what are, what are the, in your opinion, the greatest challenges facing Cleveland and then the greatest challenge, challenges facing the state of Ohio over the next 10 years? Sure. Well, I think the greatest challenge facing the city of Cleveland is obviously our population, right? Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the census numbers look like. Uh, you could argue that there's one specific area of Cleveland that is growing, right? The downtown area, we've seen steady growth over the past 10 years. But if you look at the surrounding neighborhoods, uh, that's been the challenge. Uh, more people are moving out, our population continues to shrink and it has an impact on our government at the city level, right? Uh, when, we reduce, when we reduce council, that is because of the census numbers and the decrease in population. So we're shrinking our tax base also and we're losing revenues when, we, when, we, when our population shrinks. So I think getting more people to move back into the city 
is going to be one of the greatest challenges. Now, when you look at the state of Ohio, you know, I, I, I would say that getting some of our graduates to stay here, folks that come to the state to get educations from our fantastic universities we have here, how do we get them to stay here? Well, we need to make a, a competitive job market. We need to have more opportunities for folks and more incentives for graduates to stay here after they graduate. We need to find more streams to have jobs and uh, things of that sort and more ways to entice people to stay here after they graduate. I think that's the greatest challenge is getting the graduates, folks that graduate from Ohio State or Cleveland State or Case or Akron or any of these fine universities to stay here and start a family here. Yeah, a couple of our guests have have mentioned this concept of this uh, this boomerang effect of people graduate, like you say, they leave for a couple of years, but then they come back. I mean, do you see that at all? You know, I, I do see it. Uh, I don't see it as often as I see people leaving and not coming back. So if you know, I, I've seen a lot of instances where uh, folks will graduate and then they'll get a job in California, New York, or more. Um, I'd say a more appealing place and they end up staying there. So how do we make Ohio that appealing place or make the city of Cleveland that appealing place or even Cincinnati or anywhere within the state? How do we make Ohio more competitive so we can compete with the Californias, New Yorks or some of the larger markets? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm happy you brought up the census. It's gonna be really interesting to see those numbers. I almost wish, I know you can't do this, but I almost wish we did the census now because I feel like it would actually give us a more accurate reflection because for example my wife and i and this happened to a bunch of different people um mm -hmm. we filled out that we, we lived in brooklyn the past five years so we filled out the census living in brooklyn we don't live there you know we live in columbus ohio so it's like the, it, there, yeah. was, there was a migration a little bit i i do think in classic fashion the media overblown uh, it's a little overblown but people did leave new york people did leave california a lot of people are going to texas miami has had a resurgence right so it's almost right. like we, we missed the boat. Like, I don't know if we're really going to get the impact. So it's going to be interesting. When will you guys be able to get access to all the, the data? You know, I'm hearing that uh, we should be getting that access uh, relatively soon here, probably within the next 60 days or so, uh, hmm. because we also have redistricting that needs to happen here in the state of Ohio. We've got to redraw House districts and redraw Senate districts um, and, and congressional districts. And the way we draw those districts is based off the census data. Uh, so it's my understanding that we'll be getting that information relatively soon here. But to, to touch on your point, you know, you're, you're right. You, you made an interesting point. Folks have left California. Folks have left New York. And when these things happen, it's very important that Ohio doesn't miss the mark and that we're ready for those opportunities. Yeah. 100%. I think that's going to be one of the greatest challenges, you know, next time around, for sure. 100%. Um, okay, so let's jump in. I want to talk a little bit about the legislation that you're currently sponsoring and that you're a co-sponsor on. Um, tell us about this. I mean, which which of uh, the legislation is a priority to you um, before the General Assembly adjourns for the summer? Sure. So I'll tell you right now, my baby that uh, I'm working on right now is House Bill 155. All right. It's a bill that I'm doing with Monique Smith, who's my uh, joint sponsor. Uh, and it's a bill that deals with land banks. Uh, there's 88 counties in the state of Ohio, but not every county has a land bank. There's 55 land banks, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that number, but there's around 50 land banks across the state of Ohio. So we're looking to take $50 million from the state of Ohio and spread it out to each land bank for demolition of nuisance and abated properties, right? So when we look at 
look at my district, right? There are vacant and abandoned factories that have been abandoned for decades, just sitting in my district all over. They're eyesores to the community and it, they prevent investment from happening, right? So if we can get the state of Ohio to step up and be a partner uh, with local government to demolish some of these buildings, it will leave opportunity for investment, redevelopment. Um, now, $50 million is certainly not enough just for the city of Cleveland alone for demolition, right? But what we're trying to do with this legislation is first of all, first of all, create a program and see if the formula works. Uh, and some of the conversations I've had with some of my colleagues in both caucuses, uh, it's, 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 it's a pretty general consensus across the state. I mean, everyone has vacant and abandoned structures in their district and everyone understands the opportunities uh, that could lead to uh, that, that you, the opportunities if you tear down some of these vacant and abandoned structures, right? Uh, so the conversations have been very positive and thank God they have not been partisan yet. The question is, is the money there and where's the money gonna come from? So we're looking at several pots of money. We're looking at some of the federal dollars that we're gonna get. We're looking at GRF funding. We're looking at unclaimed funds. And I'm open to having these conversations about where to get the money because we're only looking at $50 million. Um, we got the money. If the question is, where's is it going to come from? Which pot are we pulling from? I'd like to see it done without a tax increase or without uh, any new taxes. I'd like to see it done with some of the money that's already uh, that we already have. So, yeah. you know, that's a bill that I'm very excited about. It was introduced last General Assembly by Dave Greenspan. It was House Bill 252. We've reintroduced it, myself and Monique Smith. Uh, the bill is in the Economic and Workforce Development Committee, and I have the pleasure of sitting as ranking member on that committee. Um, we had our um, sponsor testimony. We've had some proponent testimony, uh, and I was pleased to see that with proponent testimony, we had folks from all over the state come in. We must have had probably about seven or eight people come and testify, uh, and they're, and they're from, all, from all over the state. We had folks from my district, and we had folks from Jay Edwards' district, uh, the Athens area, uh, and Jay Edwards is the chair of the committee, and he's been very receptive to the bill so far. So we're in the very early stages, but this is a bill that I'm very excited about. And I think that this bill can benefit the entire state of Ohio, not just one concentrated area. Uh, blight and dilapidated structures are not just uh, an urban phenomenon. It's in rural communities as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this should be this should be universally supported. Who who would not support this, right? And And like you said, now it's all about we have the money. Where, where are we taking it? What source are we taking it from? So, okay. Um, I want to talk to you about the other bill um, that you're co-sponsoring and uh, it's about increasing the state's minimum wage to 15, uh, $15 per hour uh, by 2027. Talk to us about this. What, what made you uh, want to be a co-sponsor to this bill? Sure. Well, let me just be clear here. I've always supported a, a minimum wage increase, but I've always supported a gradual minimum wage increase. Uh, and that's what this bill offers. Uh, you know, I think it's unfortunate for folks to work 40 hours a week and still live in poverty, right? Um, now, $15 an hour is a step in the right direction, but we need to find ways to create careers for people, right? Because a lot of the jobs uh, that we're gonna be, that we're, that we're talking about here, if we have a minimum wage increase, are those jobs gonna be around within the next 10 years? If you go to a McDonald's, for example, you're beginning to see where they've got those kiosk things where you can go and punch your order in and you can pay right there, right? Uh, so where traditionally you would go and there'd be someone standing at a counter, now they're transitioning to these kiosks where you put your own order in. So, you know, that's my concern. If we raise the minimum wage, are these jobs gonna, you know, be available 
10, 15 years down the road, right? Because that, that's what we want to see. We want to see with a minimum wage increase, we want to see more opportunities for employment and more career paths. And, and, that's, what I, and that's what I was hoping to uh, see when, when I supported this bill. Um, now, do I think the bill's going to move? You know, I'd like to see it move. I mean, I'm optimistic, uh, but I understand the, the nature of Ohio politics, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm happy you brought that up. And, I, and I, I think it's Ohio, but I also think it's a national thing. Why, why has the minimum wage become such a political issue where when you just break down basic economics, and I am not, I, I don't pretend to be uh, an economist or any sort of mathematician, but when you, when you research it and you take the politics out and you see inflation and the cost of doing business and the price of goods and everything has gone up from 1970 to now, except for wages. Why right. are we so against just bringing it to where it should be? I, I, why? I, I don't understand it. You know, Paul, and I think that's just one of those things that, uh, you know, no matter how hard you think, you'll never find a rational answer. And, and you would think that as, like you said, cost of production, uh, cost of goods, inflation, everything that has gone up since the 70s, you would, have th you would have thought that wages would have been top on that priority list. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Uh, I, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe it's greed. There's, you know, there's a variety of different answers it could be. Uh, but you would think that as the prices and the cost of production and everything else goes up, wages should go up right along with that, right? Uh, because these things are gonna continue to go up. And we're not talking about taking wages and uh, putting an astronomical increase. $15 an hour is reasonable. And I think that's where it should be. Yep, yep, 100%. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I, I know that everyone likes to point to the additional uh, unemployment benefits as one of the reasons that businesses can't, are not able to hire workers right now. And that's almost like, it, it, it's, it's not not true, but it's like one part of the entire economic uh, situation we're in right now. So it's not fair to say the only reason people can't find jobs is because of it. It's, no, that's not true. There's a right. lot of things going on right now. And so it's an interesting thing. I know DeWine, I think, announced that Ohio is, is refusing those funds starting in June. Is that true? Uh, I did hear something like that. And listen, I think that's, uh, I think that's a, 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 a calculated mistake. Yeah. You know, these funds, and you, you bring up a good point, the additional unemployment benefits, let's be clear. These are temporary funds. These are not longstanding funds and they're not going to be, you know, eventually these resources are going to either run out or, they're, or we're not going to get in, any more of them. This is only temporary, right? So yeah. when, when, people ex exceed their time on unemployment, then what? You know what I mean? We need to have career paths and we need to have job opportunities for people who can transition transition from unemployment back into the back into the workforce. And that's the challenge. Yeah. So another perfect transition. Um, you're the ranking member of the Economic and Workforce Development Committee, like you mentioned earlier. So tell us, um, for maybe people that don't know, what, what does this committee focus on? What does this committee do on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure. So this committee, uh, what our priority is, is, is getting Ohioans to work and building Ohio's workforce and making it more inclusive for everyone, or at least that's the priority of myself and, and the members of my caucus. I get a sense that that's the priority of the majority caucus too, uh, but that is yet to be seen as we continue to have more and more committee meetings. Uh, but I certainly want to see this committee 
begin to talk about how we can make Ohio's workforce more inclusive, how we can grow Ohio's workforce, how we can partner with universities and find segues into career paths once folks have graduated. Uh, and that's what I'm really looking to see. Um, you know, when we, when I was looking at all the committees that you serve on, it seems like you must have had one of the more stressful and busy last 14 months of anybody. I mean, you serve on some very important committees that have all come up in the last year or so. Uh, the House Health Committee, the House Insurance Committee, and the House Public Utilities Committee. Quickly touch on, on those and, and what you've been working on over the past year. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, insurance, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the insurance company. We just passed the uh, Bureau of Workman's Comp budget uh, out of committee, and we passed it on the, uh, uh, out of the House of Representatives uh, Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, that's a biannual budget that we do every two years. Um, so that's really the big thing. You know, and it's interesting. That's really the big thing that comes through the insurance committee, that budget. Once we get that done, we'll meet frequently. Well, not as frequent as we would when we were going through the budget. Uh, health committee, there's always something going on in the health committee, right? There's always uh, bills pertaining to health coverage, uh, scope of practice, uh, and even some extreme abortion bills that come through health. So there's never a dull moment in the health committee. Uh, public utilities is another committee. We don't meet as often, uh, but considering with what's been going on uh, and what's happened last General Assembly, um, public utilities has been very active. Uh, I enjoy the work I do on all the committees. I mean, all the committees I serve on are very important and all the committees that I serve on, you know, I ask to be put on those committees because each of these committees impacts my district in one capacity or another, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I can definitely give a shout out to Minority Leader Amelia Sykes for definitely showing me love on my committees and giving me every committee that I've asked for. So, you know, I, I, I I am one of the more busy members uh, with my committee assignments. I mean, every week I'm down there um, and every week I have a, a, a full schedule. So, you know, it's, it, it, I enjoy the work though. Yeah, for sure. Good. Um, okay, so let's come up for air here. Taylor uh, has told me that you're a golfer. Um, if you had to pick your favorite course in your district or one in, uh, across the state, you know, you can pick wherever. Um, mm -hmm. What, what's your favorite course in either Cleveland or, or across the state? Oh, that's a tough one. I'll tell you what. The course I've played the most, and I like to say, I like to think of this as my home course, my practice course, would be Briardale Greens. Uh, it's, it's close to where I live. Uh, you know, the, the management team, they do a fantastic job with the upkeep of the course. Uh, the food is fantastic. And then right behind that, I'd probably say Highland. Uh, Highland is a historic course, one of my favorite courses. Uh, the management team does a fabulous job with the upkeep. So I would say those two courses are probably my top two. And then falling at number three would be Boulder Creek just because of the difficulty of the course. That's one of the more difficult courses that I've played. And, and I enjoy a difficult course, whether I'm playing well or whether I'm playing not so well. And uh, I actually played with Taylor last Friday and. Uh, I didn't play too well, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out there with him and, you know. Listen, a bad, a bad day on the course beats a good day in the office uh, any day of the week. So There you go. There you go. I'm right there with you. Um, all right, so we'll get you out of here on this. Um, we always ask our guests, uh, you know, list their favorite place to eat around town. So fav it can be anything. Favorite slice of pizza, favorite dinner spot, favorite place for lunch, anything like that. What's your favorite go-to restaurant in Cleveland? 
Okay, here we go. So if you're in the 10th house district, I want you to stop on Waterloo Road. I want you to go to Citizen Pie, the best pizza you will ever have in your life. Wow. Citizen Pie. Then I want you to slide down on 185th and go to the Standard for dinner. The food is fantastic. It's a five-star restaurant right here in the neighborhood. I was there last night for dinner, and it was absolutely fantastic. I had salmon stuffed with crab with tiger shrimp on top of it with mashed potatoes and green beans. Can't beat it. And the wine is absolutely fantastic. Wow. All right, man. Well, my next trip to Cleveland's planned. So we're going to golf, and then we're going to Citizen Pie. And then what was the name of the restaurant? The Standard. The Standard. Sounds good. Yep. Sounds good to me. Um, okay, real quick, I lied. Uh, where can everybody find you? Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, website. Where, where can everybody find you and follow you? Yep, you can find me on Instagram, rep underscore upchurch. And I'm also on Twitter at tupchurch216. Awesome. Terrence, thank you again for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. We'll talk with you soon. Paul, it's my pleasure. And I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.